This is Jeff Young, the Catholic Foodie at CatholicFoodie.com, and you're listening to episode 65 of the Catholic Foodie. St. Joseph, husband of Mary, foster father of Jesus, and the terror of demons. Well, that's right. Uh, We are going to be talking about St. Joseph today. St. Joseph is on the menu. Uh, This episode, episode 65, is actually late. I had intended on putting this episode out on the feast day of St. Joseph. But, you know, there's this thing called time and and family and uh, commitments and, you know, just too much going on. I couldn't do it. So uh, just this past Friday, we celebrated the solemnity of Joseph, husband of Mary, and uh, it it was just a great day for us. And I want to share that with you today. So we're going to talk about Joseph and some food stuff, too, here at The Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. Well, welcome. Welcome to The Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith, and I'm just so glad that you're here. Uh, we do have uh, some good stuff on the menu today. We have our new, uh, our second, this is going to be the second time we've had this on the show. It's going to be our Mary in the Kitchen segment with uh, Sarah Reinhardt of the Snoring Scholar or SnoringScholar.com as her blog over there. Um, and let's see. Oh, you know what's missing? <laughs> we've got something missing here. Have you figured it out yet? Uh, my wife is missing. She's not here. Char is not on the show today. Uh, as I mentioned in the intro, we, you know, we we just could not do a show Friday. Uh, part of it is just time. Uh, actually, we were able to squeeze some time in to try to get it going, and uh, due to technical difficulties, I was not able to uh, to pull it off. Problem is, is once we had technical difficulties, I didn't have the time. To, to figure it all out, uh, we, we had somewhere to go. We went to a conference this past weekend in New Orleans. So we were gone pretty much all weekend. That's why we didn't uh, do a show on Sunday either. So here, here we are. It's Wednesday and uh, several days after the Feast of St. Joseph. And, and I, I said, you know what? I just, I've got to put this out. I don't want St. Joseph to get lost. Uh, you know, I did a show on St. Joseph a year ago. And it was episode 12, all the way back to episode 12. Isn't that amazing? Um, and I've had, I had comments on that episode, some people saying that, you know, even after, you know, producing 30, 40 episodes, I remember getting an email saying that uh, their favorite, their favorite was the St. Joseph one. So I believe in that episode I talked about devotion to saints in general, what it's all about, why we have... Uh, veneration of the saints or devotion to saints, and uh, just talked a lot about Joseph himself. So uh, we're going to do another episode here on St. Joseph because it's just not uh, it's not possible to say too much about him, which is strange when you think about it since he said absolutely nothing in the Gospels. <laughs> he was the silent man in the Gospels. But we will talk about him today and uh, I just had to do this. Could not wait. So Char is out running the roads with uh, the kids as usual. And uh, I'm here with you. So let's get right into it. True love. You heard him? You could not ask for a more noble cause than that. Yes, honey. True love is the greatest thing in the world. Except for a nice MLT, mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich when the mutton is nice and lean and the tomatoes are ripe. They're so perky. I love that.
Hi, Captain Jeff. I mean, Jeff Young. This is Dan from Chicago. I uh, just uh, put in the oven uh, Paul's banana bread, the what's be that you showed on uh, on com, And I just wanted to share that with you. So I'm, um, I'm way looking forward to uh, the next all when it comes out, out of the oven. But uh, I um, printed out that what's it be, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, heated it and uh, hopefully it uh it uh comes out good so just just uh share with you and uh, i was i actually was uh, uh making it as i was listening to your latest episode of the catholic foodie with uh the uh uh classes in the kitchen i think it was the name of it but anyways uh keep up the great work and uh, we'll talk to you soon god bless bye well thank you daniel uh it's great to hear from you again and uh, Paul's banana bread. You know, it was actually Barb in Nebraska who gave me that uh, that recipe, and I shared it on, I believe, sqpn.com. It's also over at Catholic Foodie under the recipes, Paul's banana bread. And um, I, I believe that the day that I actually shared this, I had some voice feedback from um, from Barb herself, which was really awesome. I, I was actually that she took the time. I mean, to actually uh, you know send me some voice voice feedback that was great i was very excited i remember that and uh anyway she she tells a story about uh paul's banana bread and where it comes from it's from a friend of hers when she was in college and uh very simple recipe not complicated but you know what when you're in college as she said when you're in college you really do learn to appreciate the the simple things when it comes to to food especially if you're eating in a cafeteria every day uh, so I'm, I hope that that came out really well for you, Daniel. I, I know that I personally love banana bread. Um, I really enjoy it for breakfast if we have it. I'd love to I'd like to heat it up. And believe it or not, don't tell Char this, but believe it or not, I even like to, uh, after heating it up, put a little uh, butter on it. I mean, you know, you can never have too much butter, right? Uh, you can't have too much bacon either. It's something about that uh, that greasy stuff. It's really, ooh, it's good. Uh, anyway, I hope you enjoyed that. And uh, and thank you for calling in. Hi, uh, oh, I nearly called you Captain Jeff. <laughs> Sorry. Hi, Jeff. It's Anne from the UK. Your your crazy UK friend with a bit of very useless information that I kind of found very intriguing about the good old lobster thermidor. Um, and it's why it is called lobster thermidor. I didn't realize there's a whole historical background to uh, lobster thermidor. And I know you like crayfish, uh, and crayfish are kind of big lo- uh, baby lobster. Well, the flavor, to me, I'm not a foodie. That's your job. But I always think crayfish and lobster are quite similar in flavors, except the size is smaller. Anyway, it says, uh, the word thermidor is a Greco-French... Is of Greek Greco-French origin and is the name of the eleventh month in the French Revolutionary Calendar. It means the month of heat and ran from the nineteenth of July till the seventeenth of August. This calendar was introduced by Robespierre and was used in France until until eighteen o six. Despite the fact that Robespierre was deposed on the ninth Thermidor in the year two, i.e. on the 27th of July, 
and he was arrested the following day. Whoever conceived the name for this dish was obviously thinking not of the French Revolution, but of the midsummer, which is an excellent time for lobster, and it's the summer and as is the summer in general. Bon appetit. Now, this little card uh, with the history on comes from a really, really, really cute little restaurant called the Butler's Pantry near where my parents live, which only has five or six tables. And um, I got the chance to spoil my mother uh, last Sunday, which was the uh, 14th of March was Mothering Sunday in the United Kingdom. And it's also, to have a Catholic connection, is when we celebrate Our Lady in the Easter uh, season, uh, I think. Um, but you know me. You guys know better than me. But I just kind of found this little card because they do theme days. So they're going to have a lobster and seafood uh, evening. And they had Mother's Day evening. And the food was phenomenally good. Well, uh, Anne in the UK, thank you so much for that. Uh, golly, there's a few things I could say about it. Um, first of all, you know, you you were almost called me Captain Jeff. <laughs> and if I'm not mistaken, Daniel uh, did that too at the beginning of his feedback. I don't know if there's something. I mean, what is that? You know, you got two kooks, of course. Uh, uh, Chef Jeff or <laughs> Jeff Young, that's me. And uh, and Captain Jeff. Ooh, here, here we go. I got my cell phone going off here. Hold on one second. So I don't know. I don't know what it is about uh, uh, people confusing me with Captain Jeff. I mean, goodness gracious! I mean, I'm I'm the only good-looking one, you know, between the two of us. So who knows? Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, lobster. Oh my goodness, lobster! You know, I have to, I have to think about this. I don't know if I've ever had. I don't know if I've ever had um, lobster thermidor. I know I've had lobster uh, bisque. I know I've had. Uh, steamed lobster, which I love. I mean, lobster is just so good. Uh, matter of fact, on our honeymoon, you know, Char and I went to Margarita Island, Venezuela, and we were there for two weeks. And they had the the the, the spiny lobsters. I mean, these lobsters were massive. You know, you're talking about uh, it's just it's unbelievable. Where the tail of the lobster would literally, if you if you once you take it out of the shell shell. The whole thing will actually wrap around your hand. It is so big. I mean, when you go to order lobster, they they take it, they split the tail down the middle because it's so uh, like lengthwise because it's too too much food for you to eat one by yourself. You know, you tend to to split it, which is what Char and I did. Um, just I, we love it. Great stuff. Steam lobster with uh, drawn butter. Oh my goodness, that's good stuff. Uh, and the butler's pantry sounds fantastic, man. That that sounds like a, a the kind of place I would just love. Very excited about that. Um, I wish that I could uh, I could I could visit that place one day. That would be really fun. And you know, it's it's hard to find here in the in the states at least. Uh, it's hard to find a restaurant that has only five or six tables. Uh, I remember being in Italy, and uh, you had a number of restaurants that were like that, little family owned places, just very small. Five or six tables, they turn the tables, I guess, pretty quickly, and uh, and they were able to make money doing that. But here, it just seems that um, they need more space, they need more people in, they need the money, they need the money. So 
Uh, I'd be very interested to find out how they actually make that work because it's uh, it's just so different here. Um, anyway, thank you so much for that feedback. I do have we do have more feedback from Anne in the UK, uh, but I'm going to save that for next episode, episode sixty six. Oh, you got to taste this. This is oh, it's got this kind of it's burning, melty. It's not really a smoky taste. It, it, it's a certain oh, it's kind of like a. It's got like this boom, zap kind of taste. Don't you think? What would you call that flavor? Lightning-y? Yeah. It's lightning-y! Oh, we gotta do that again! Okay, when the next storm comes, we'll go up on the roof. I know what this needs. Saffron. A little saffron would make this. Saffron. Why do I get the feeling it's, it's in, in the, the kitchen. kitchen? Hi, I'm Junie. And I'm Ray. And this is Mary in the Kitchen with Sarah Reinhardt. <laughs> it's easy to forget Mary was a wife. It seems a little, well, ordinary, doesn't it? Wives do things like dishes and housework, take care of the little details, pull things together for their families. Wives are the neck of their marriages, right? And the neck just doesn't seem exalted enough for the mother of God. But I like to think of Mary as a wife. I like to see that pedestal she's on at church as just a stool she uses to reach things on the top shelf. I like to imagine that she used her time in the kitchen thinking of the joys and hard work of her primary vocation, which was as a wife. St. Joseph's Feast this week has a new significance for me. I've been looking at my own marriage in a different light this year, after an unexpected death in our family made us all look at each other in a new way. It's significant to my understanding of marriage that Mary's husband has a feast celebrating that role, the role he played as her husband. He must have been a pretty great guy. He married an amazing woman, sure, but think of the give and take of marriage, how it's impossible not to be influenced by the other. Mary was influenced by Joseph. She was changed by her bond with him. Because of her marriage to him, she could be open to different graces, and so could he. As a wife, Mary spent a lot of time in the kitchen. Women at that time did, but her role as wife must have made things meaningful in a different way. She had to cook and clean, for sure, and there must have been plenty of time in the midst of the very physical parts of her vocation to think and pray. In my own journey as a wife, my prayer life has grown and changed. Becoming a mother changed things further, but as I've been reminded time and again, My primary vocation is as a wife. That means, despite my failures and struggles, I have something very important in common with Mary. This week, during your prayer time, ask Mary to help you find common ground with her so that you can find yourself strengthened and renewed in your own life. Next Friday, a week from St. Joseph's Feast, begins a new cycle of preparation for total consecration to Jesus through Mary. I'm going to commit myself to it, and I want to ask you to join me 
You'll find all the information about Total Consecration at a great site called totalconsecration.com. St. Joseph, husband of Mary, pray for us. Thank you so much, Sarah. I really, uh, this particular uh, segment here on St. Joseph and Mary in the Kitchen, the Mary in the Kitchen segment, really uh, spoke to me. It really speaks to me uh, right now uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, I love St. Joseph, and I've got numerous reasons for loving St. Joseph. He's a, a fantastic saint, first of all. He was so close to Jesus and to Mary. And, uh, I mean, I can only imagine what it was like. Now, Scripture says he was a just man, right? He was a just man. So he was a man after God's own heart. He was he was um, a virtuous man. He was good. But guess what? St. Joseph was still a sinner, just like me, still a sinner. And so how do you think he felt living, you know, with a son who was like the son of God, sinless, right, as God himself, and and Mary, who was sinless. I mean, goodness gracious, I don't know. I would think that it, it would be so humbling, first of all, and, and, and probably kind of humiliating. Uh, and yet, here he is with these two people who are um, um, full of grace, right? Mary, full of grace. And then Jesus is like grace itself. It's, it's God's very own life. It's, it, he is God. Uh, I am sure that St. Joseph enjoyed a not only a closeness with God, but a sanctity that, um, that that's kind of unparalleled, right, from anybody else. Uh, he was the closest man to Jesus. He was the closest one there. So I'm going to say more about St. Joseph uh, in just a few minutes, but goodness, I can't, I can't imagine. That, one of the reasons why I love St. Joseph. Um, now, I'm, I'm talking about Sarah and, and this um, uh, Mary in the Kitchen segment. Another reason that I really, uh, this one really spoke to me is because of the total consecration thing you said at the end. Um, you know, this past weekend I mentioned we went to a conference, Char and I, and it was the, um, the Southern Regional Conference of the Catholic Charismatic Renewal and we've been going to that conference for years. Um, had dynamic speakers. Uh, Alex Jones, Deacon Alex Jones was there. Um, see, Father Richard McAleer was there. Uh, Johnette Bankovic was there. And also Immaculate. Immaculate Ilabagisa, I believe is how you pronounce her last name. She was there. And one of the things that I absolutely love about Johnette Bankovic is that she talks about Mary all the time. And she talks about uh, the relationship that Mary has with the Trinity. She talks about the relationship that we are really called to have with Mary. Uh, she she referred over and over and over again to the total consecration as it is presented by St. Louis uh, de Montfort. Matter of fact, she had that book out, True Devotion to Mary, and she spoke from that uh, uh, several times, read from it several times. So I was really, really impressed by that, and and uh, that touched my heart. Uh, Immaculate spoke on Sunday, and you know I've heard her speak before, and uh, I've I've read the the book Our Lady of Cabejo, which I highly recommend, an incredible book on uh, an approved uh, apparition, or I should say, approved apparitions of Mary in Cabejo in in Africa, ten years prior to the genocide. Uh, which she, by the way, foretold. 
Um, just a beautiful book, really talks about the devotion to uh, to Mary. Uh, so anyway, she spoke also about the rosary and the power of the rosary and, and total consecration. And um, so I'm getting this message a lot. <laughs> Matter of fact, at the conference, I went and I picked up a copy of True Devotion to Mary. Um, yeah, I, I have to tell you, I made my consecration, total consecration to Mary, according to the method of uh, St. Louis de Montfort back in 1980. Seven, I believe it was 1987, July 16th, 1987. It was the Feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. I was 17 years old. I was 17 years old. Um, so it was a grace of God that I was able to make that consecration, first of all, but I had no idea what I was getting into. <laughs> you know, uh, like most 17-year-olds, we, we don't, you know, at 17, don't know a whole lot about life, although we think we know everything. Uh, so anyway, uh, through the years, I have kind of renewed my consecration, and I feel like God is asking me now, right now, uh, to do it again, to, to go through that, that process again of making the, uh, the formal preparations and then renewing my consecration again. And so, Sarah, I'm so glad that you mentioned the date that we have coming up, at the, I believe, uh, this Friday. We have uh, uh, the Feast of the Annunciation. And so you would start there or the day after the Feast of the Annunciation and, and do the, uh, the preparation uh, from that point on. Anyway, uh, I'm very excited about this. Uh, there's more, obviously, that I could say about uh, consecration to Our Lady, uh, but I'm going to save that for later because i got to talk about St. Joseph. Now, uh, regarding St. Joseph and something that Sarah had talked about, too, is is the fact that he's really the husband of Mary. I mean, and, you know, I think sometimes we think about Mary, and uh, as she mentioned, you know, the, you have this statue on a pedestal, right? I think a lot of times we have Mary and also saints kind of on this pedestal, and they're they're unrealistic. They're un, uh, or almost like inhuman, right? Superhuman, um, which, I mean, they were all human. They were full of, you know— they were, they were saints, they were holy, but they were still human, and they lived a human life and de- dealt with human things. And, you know, you think about Our Lady, goodness, I mean, she uh, she was a mother, a true mother, and she was a true wife. Um, I think, I've, talk, I've talked to people before, and I've heard people say that uh, they didn't really consider the marriage between Mary and Joseph to be like a, a real uh, marriage. Uh, and I think the fact that we call St. Joseph the foster father of Jesus also plays a part in that. But the fact is, is that Joseph really was the husband of Mary, and Mary really was the wife of Joseph. Now, of, of course, she remained an ever-virgin, the ever-virgin Mary, um, and the child that they had was not the biological child of Joseph. He was conceived miraculously when the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, and uh, he, as the angel said, would be known as the Son of God. So we have uh, Jesus, who is God, born of Mary, without a human father. But what does Joseph do? Joseph, uh, if you remember the story in the gospel, right? He, he discovers that Mary's pregnant, and that he's not the father, 
And, you know, what, what would you think? You know, what would you think? Um, it was kind of unheard of that a woman became pregnant by herself. <laughs> so what would you think? And, and so he didn't, he thought the same thing. I mean, it was hard to believe and you, you kind of get that sense of, you know, he couldn't believe this of Mary had no idea what was going on. Uh, and it took an angel uh, appearing to him to make him see and understand what was going on. And then he took his wife, he took Mary as his wife. Uh, he had thought about divorcing her, but he took her as his wife. So what does Joseph do? Joseph, first of all, protects Mary uh, after the angel appears to him in his dream. He takes Mary as his wife. She really is his wife. And then he claims the son, the child, Jesus, he claims Jesus as his own. So according to the law, he was, Jesus was Joseph's son, his real son. Now, we know that he's not Jesus' biological father, but according to the law, he is truly Jesus' father. Now, in a lot of the, um, uh, when we refer to Joseph nowadays, one of his titles is foster father of Jesus. We, we do that because foster father, that title, foster father, reinforces for us that God is the father of Jesus, that he was conceived miraculously. So it just emphasizes that for us, that Jesus is God and has no earthly father, biological father. But nonetheless, according to the law, Joseph was or is the father of Jesus. So we can see, I mean, just think about the power of Joseph's intercession when he lived with Jesus for years and years. We don't know when Joseph died. But he lived with Jesus for uh, at least 12 years, or long, probably longer, could have been several years longer. We just know that he's not mentioned once Jesus begins his public ministry. Actually, he's not mentioned at all after the finding in the temple at the age of 12, uh, when Jesus was 12. Uh, so, you know, this just Joseph is close to Jesus uh, and to Mary, and Mary is... Uh, so powerful an intercessor. Uh, she has, um, according to uh, tradition in the church, she's been known as the mediatrix of all graces. If, you, if you've seen the miraculous medal, you see her what? She's also referred on the uh, miraculous medal, referred to as Our Lady of Grace. She's standing there with rays shooting out of her fingers going down toward the earth, and those rays signify graces. Grace, which, by the way, grace is simply a word that means God's very own life, right, is is coming out to earth through the, the hands of Mary. So Mary, very powerful intercessor as well. And, and Jesus and Mary and Joseph make up the holy family. Joseph is a real father, a real husband. Mary is a real wife. Joseph is a real father. Jesus is a real son, and they really are, you know, they are a real family. The Holy Family is a real family, and they go through the same kind of family stuff that we go through, you know? I mean, of course, I mean, Jesus obviously isn't going to talk back to his mother and father. Uh, he was obedient. Uh, but, you know, as far as everybody else goes, I mean, they didn't walk around with halos around their heads. Um, everybody else in the village, everybody else in Nazareth, they would look at Joseph, Mary, and, and Jesus, and it was just Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. You know, there wasn't anything special about them. And even they were nice folk, you know. 
Uh, there was nothing uh, wrong with them. They weren't they weren't um, uh, gossipers or anything, or no rumors spreading around the you know Nazareth about them because they were they lived good lives, but they didn't stand out as like you know saints or super holy or um, you know like they, they didn't know that Jesus was God. So they lived a normal life, and I, I can imagine uh, uh, over and over and over again, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, all of them, uh, reaching out to those in Nazareth, performing charitable works for them, helping people out, uh, giving encouragement, doing the kind of things that a normal family would do for other people, except oftentimes we're, we're, we're broken, right? So we have a hard time reaching out um, as we should. So anyway, it's a real family. And uh, so that's one of the reasons why I really love St. Joseph. He's very, very powerful with Jesus in his intercession. Um, he was made in 1847, I believe it was, 1847, that's correct, by Pope Pius IX. St. Joseph was um, proclaimed the patron and protector of the universal church. And uh, he was a just man. He sought the Lord, and he did the will of God. Um, he is known as uh, husband of Mary and foster father of Jesus for the, the reasons I just I just elaborated <laughs> or elaborated upon. Uh, but he is also known as the terror of demons. And I talked about this a year ago on episode 12, the terror of demons. That's one of the titles that Joseph is given in, uh, in his litany, right? the litany of St. Joseph. And, and think about that, the terror of demons. Why? Why is he given that title? I mean, Joseph was so, he was silent in, in the Gospels. We don't hear anything from him. We just see him being shown to us as a just man. So I think that's actually the answer, though. You know, here, here's a man who has dreams of angels. He doesn't speak a single word in the Gospels. He's portrayed to us, he seems to us so meek and lowly. How can this man be the terror of demons? Well, I think it's because he is a just man. He's a just man. And in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 5, we read that the just man overcomes every misfortune which oppresses him. Every misfortune, which could also refer to demons. It also says that the just man, this is in Proverbs 21, verse 12, it says the, the just man appraises the house of the wicked. There is one who brings down or brings the wicked to ruin. So the just man appraises the house of the wicked. There is one who brings down or yeah, brings down the wicked to ruin. So Joseph can destroy or bring down the wicked. And here's, here's the thing. I don't know if you've thought about this. But uh, when I was uh, a seminarian for the Diocese of Baton Rouge, I once heard my bishop, who was um, Bishop Alfred Hughes, who later became the Archbishop of New Orleans. He's retired now. Uh, so he's Archbishop Alfred Hughes. Uh, he once said that, you know, in the Old Testament, you have a lot of, um, in the Psalms, in the Proverbs, you read a lot about the wicked and about the the, the evil, and they lay in wait and they they plot all these bad things, right? They're they're trying to destroy God's people. They're trying to destroy whoever wrote that psalm or or whatever it may be. 
Uh, and sometimes when, when we read that today, we kind of have a hard time thinking, you know, how does this measure up with like our image of God today? Because, you know, we're, we're praying in the Psalms, it's like we're praying that God will smite the wicked. He'll destroy them. He'll remove them from the face of the earth. It's like, how can we say that today with the way that we see God today? You know, the God of love and all of this. Well, the way he explained it, he says, whenever you read in Scripture about the wicked or about those seeking to destroy you or uh, evildoers, he says, instead of thinking of them as, as people for our own day and age, think of them as the powers of hell. Think of it as uh, demonic activity. Because you know what? We do have an enemy. I have an enemy. So I can read those psalms about, you know, the enemy pursues my soul and refer that to or see how that refers to uh, to Satan, to demons, and they're trying to pursue my soul. And what do I want to do? I want to run to God who is my refuge, my fortress, and my strength. You know, and that kind of points us back to Psalm, 20, uh, psalm 91, which I was going to read to you right here, just a, 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 a clip from this. First Proverbs 18. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The just man runs to it and is safe. It is the Lord himself who overcomes the enemy. Um, in Psalm 91, we read that, you know, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High and abides in the shade of the Almighty says to the Lord, my refuge, my stronghold, my God in whom I trust. So the just man knows to run to that, right? Run to that stronghold, which is God. And uh, Psalm 91 goes on to say, It is he who will free you from the snare of the fowler who seeks to destroy you. He will conceal you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. So what does Joseph do as a terror of demons? Joseph is humble. Joseph is just. Joseph runs to God. He finds his shelter in God. And so it's not so much that he himself um, uh, is the terror of demons, but it is God in him who is the terror of demons. So demons demons shudder <laughs> when Joseph is there. So I just think that's really, really cool. I don't know about you, but for me, that is a cool thing. And this past Friday was the feast day of St. Joseph. And uh, even though it was back in 1847 that Pope Pius IX proclaimed Joseph the patron and protector of the Universal Church, last Friday I proclaimed St. Joseph as the patron and uh, protector of my domestic church, which is my family. So St. Joseph, husband of Mary, foster father of Jesus, terror of demons, pray for us. If you want to learn more about St. Joseph and and, uh, and devotion to St. Joseph, I'm going to recommend a book to you that sounds kind of funny. I talked about this book uh, on episode 12 a year ago, and you may want to go back and listen to that. Uh, but it's called St. Joseph, My Real Estate Agent. 
<laughs> and it, it refers back to this uh, this this tradition uh, when people need to sell a home uh, or to buy a home that they will uh, go to Joseph for that, and they'll they'll um, even go so far as to bury a statue of Saint Joseph in their yard in order to sell the house and uh, and, and pray some some specific kind of prayers, uh, asking for Saint Joseph's intercession. And then once the house is sold, they dig Joseph up and bring him back inside. Now, Char and I, as I mentioned in episode 12, Char and I did this when we sold our last house. And uh, it it may seem kind of superstitious, but it really, if you think about it, uh, if you do it with the right uh, motivation, it's not superstitious. Now, can some people do it in a superstitious way? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, But it's not necessarily in and of itself superstitious. Matter of fact, I think sometimes it works, and many people attest to the fact that it works, simply because it's someone stepping out in faith and doing something, reaching out to heaven, basically, uh, without... Well, it just takes belief. It takes faith. And because of faith, I think even though it may be misguided sometimes, things happen. And uh, so anyway, this book written by Stephen Benz, Stephen J. Benz, I really like it for a few reasons. First of all, very easy read. Uh, it's not that long of a book. I think there's only like you know 135, 33 pages in the book. Not long at all. And uh, here's some of the chapters. Uh, house selling, Joseph the Realtor. So he's kind of explaining this tradition and how it came about, or at least how we think it came about because no one really knows. Uh, Saint uh, Real Estate in Nazareth. This was really cool because he goes and tells you like what was – what was it like? You know, we have Joseph taking the Holy Family to Egypt. You know, what was it like to live in Egypt at the time? You know, and then he brought them back to Nazareth when the angel told him to. What was it like to live in Nazareth? What was the, uh, what were houses like? You know, what were they built? What were they made of? How big were they? How many rooms? You know, what did the, 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 the area of Nazareth itself, how many people lived there? I mean, all these questions, so it kind of gives you a, a really good mental image of what life in Nazareth must have been like, uh, and he goes further into that um, in the next chapter, which is homemaking in Nazareth. So just, I think, just for that part, I, I would have bought this book. It was, it's, it's, it's $6.99. It's not a, a expensive book, and that stuff was really, really good. So um, he talks about their, their travel to uh, Egypt and the chapter away from home, travel, refugee, traveler, refugee, and pilgrim. Uh, then home builder, uh, husband, father, and laborer, saintly mentor through the cycles of life. And so he'll talk about Joseph and how he can be a mentor for us in the different stages of, of life. And then domestic devotion to Joseph and uh, blessings for the home. So through this, you have uh, a discussion of what devotion is and why we have devotions to saints, for instance. Um, and, and why St. Joseph in particular. So I think all that information is really good, too, to give you... Uh, it gives us a good understanding of um, why devotion is important, but how it's also different from the way we pray to God or the way that uh, we worship God, right? Devotion is not worship. Devotion is honor and respect due to someone who is who is holy, who is like God, because... They're only holy because God is inside of them, right? They they just are full of God. 
Uh, so we ha- we do have a, we venerate them. We know that they're close to God, so we ask them to pray for us. So you can develop kind of friendships. We believe all these people, these holy people, are alive. They're alive today. They're in heaven. So we can develop relationships with them, just as we can with Jesus and Mary, uh, and God the Father, right, and the Holy Spirit. We can develop by focusing on this to develop relationships. So there are also some various prayers that give you the prayer service for actually burying the statue of Saint Joseph, a prayer service for for blessing the home. Um, I really, I really like, I just really like this this little book. In in the foreword, he says something down here. He says, uh, my discovery of St. Joseph changed my life. Though I've always been a person of rather traditional Christian faith, I never knew that life is made up of little miracles. Though I've always believed in a heavenly life for those who have died, I never really experienced the fact that they could share that life with me. Although I always knew that I could pray to God and that he answered prayers, I never realized that my everyday life could be concretely, concretely blessed with God's abundance. So it's just, he says, you know, it really all this stuff really made the intercession of St. Joseph real for him. And that, I, I guess I could say the same thing. Reading this book and hearing other people's stories also helped to make devotion to St. Joseph real for me. So I will put a link in the show notes for this book. This is St. Joseph, my real estate agent, why the patron saint of home life is the patron saint of home selling by Stephen J. Benz. Here's a way you can be creative on a daily basis. Well, how else in your life can you actually create new things every day? And you have to eat. This mm-hmm. is the thing we all agree on. If you're going to eat three times a day to the day that you die, why not be good at it? Well, we have come to the end of the show today. I'm so glad that you are here with me and uh, that you just share this time with me. Hopefully you have uh, gotten something out of this, especially regarding St. Joseph and and total consecration to Mary. Uh, please do go to the show notes over at catholicfoodie.com and you'll find links to things that we've talked about in the show today. Um, and I'd love to hear from you. Matter of fact, uh, I'm going to ask if you haven't left feedback yet for the Catholic Foodie. Maybe you have a question. Maybe you have some thoughts or insights that you'd like to share. Maybe you have a recipe that you'd like to share with us. Uh, please do give me a call at 985-635-4974. That's 985-635-4974. And let me know your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can also email me at catholicfoodie at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, I also want to thank Captain Jeff and the SQPN Gear Store because this episode of The Catholic Foodie is sponsored by the SQPN Gear Store, which you can find over at sqpngear.com. And uh, over there you find lots of great stuff, uh, SQPN stuff. Uh, We even have Catholic Foodie stuff over there. We're talking merch, right? (laughs) Swag, they call it. You've got Catholic Foodie t-shirts and aprons and coffee mugs and tote bags and all kind of good stuff um, that, that, uh, that you can get. You can order right there from sqpngear.com. Uh, it's a funny story about that. Uh, this past weekend, as I mentioned, went to this conference, and uh, my son, uh, he's 10 years old now, he was wearing his Catholic Foodie T-shirt. And he had gone up at one point 
uh, I don't remember. He went up. He's ten. He's not shy at all. He he he's not afraid of anybody. He'll talk to anybody. He runs up on the stage uh, toward the end of the evening on Saturday, and everything was over by then, so it wasn't like that big of a deal. But people typically don't run up on stage. He runs up on stage to introduce himself to Johnette Bankovic, <laughs> and she says. Oh, I love that shirt. What's that? You know, so he's a little Catholic foodie evangelist. Oh, that's, you know, it's a blog and a podcast and it's my dad, you know. And so I thought that was pretty cool. And he he comes back and asks, well, she says something along the lines of, I don't know if I'd remember the website address. He says, oh, I'll bring you a card tomorrow. (laughs) So he asked me for uh, one of my business cards and he, he went and brought it to her. Uh, the next day. I thought that was so funny. And then when we we got a chance to talk to Immaculate as well, and she commented on the T-shirt. That's true. I'm, I'm giving it away. He did wear the T-shirt two days in a row. That's all right. That's okay. So <laughs> um, anyway, sqpngear.com. And until next time, when hopefully my wife, my lovely wife Char, will join me, bon appetit. SQPN, leading the way in Catholic new media.